0: It is uh, good to be with you today. Glad we could worship together. Uh, To start our time today, I wanted to play a little game with you. I know that's not what you were expecting me to say, was it? Um, What we're going to do is we're going to play a game, and I want to test your knowledge of different U.S. landmarks. Okay, so how it's going to work is in just a moment we're going to put a picture, a series of pictures actually, up on the screen and it's going to be a zoomed in version of just part of one of these landmarks. I'm going to give you a few seconds you can talk with whoever you're sitting near and let's we'll see how well you do. I'm going to tell you that last night uh, we had a few people go five for five. So let's see if you are as smart as the people that come to Saturday night service, all right? Go ahead and put the first picture up on the screen. Take a few seconds. All right, shout it out. Who thinks they know it? Golden Gate the Golden Gate Bridge. Is that correct? That is correct. Very good. All right, put the second one up. <laughs> Sterling is ridiculing my game for being too easy. Who thinks they know what it is? The bean. the bean. Is it the bean? It is. All right, this one may be a little bit more challenging. Go and put the third one up. What now, Sterling? Huh? <laughs> statue of liberty any other guesses that's what we think is it the statue of liberty it is very good impressive all right uh two more go and put the fourth one up i love the disappointment when you all think it's too easy that's incredible it is mount rushmore and then here's the last one now you would be if you don't know what this is it's probably because people don't actually want to go here very often (laughs) Uh, does anyone think they know what it is? Guaranteed rate field. See, not, not much knowledge. Go ahead and put it up. It is the home of the White Sox. What's it even called now, Eric? Guaranteed Rate Field. Whew. Now, I, I should mention, I, my original picture was Wrigley Field, and Eric changed it to mess with me. <laughs> but really, he just set up an opportunity to make fun of the White Sox, so thank you for that. I appreciate that. How many of you got uh, three or more correct? Three or more. Four or more. How about all five? Anybody get all five? A few of you. Wow, okay, good job. You're not lying in church, are you? Okay. (laughs) Uh, Your prize is the pride of being right, which my wife will tell you is the thing I value most in the world, so congratulations. (laughs) Let's, uh, Let's pray, and then I'll tell you why we did that. Father, thanks for today. Thank you for uh, this time of worship, for being together as a church family. Uh, Lord, as we open up your word, would you just speak to us? Uh, God, would you remind us of just how much you love us? Uh, Lord, would you encourage us to step into the life that you have called us to? We pray all this in your name. Amen. Uh, Today, we're continuing in our Gospel in Genesis series. If you've been tracking with us coming the last month or so, we've been doing this and we've been looking at some of the most foundational questions of life. We've been talking about things like, where did we come from, and what are we here for? What went wrong in the world? And is there hope that things will be made right again? So we've been doing this, and we've been working our way through the first three chapters of Genesis Scripture's creation accounts and answering these questions. If you were here last week, we looked at the final day of creation, the seventh day where God does something so, so interesting and fascinating and, and so important. He finishes his work of creation, and then he rested. He rested, and he invites us into that rest as well. So today we're continuing in Genesis chapter 2, and, and what we're going to be doing is we're going to do something that we just experienced together. We're, we're going to look at this creation account that we just have spent weeks looking at, but we're going to look at it through a particular lens. This, this different perspective where we're going to zoom in on just one part of the creation story. We're going to zoom in and we're going to look at what God considers to be his greatest creation. The, the apex of what he did, of the work that he has done. We're going to look at the creation of us, of mankind, of the first human being. And so we have to think about it this way, where where Genesis 1 gave us kind of this big picture overview where we saw everything that he did. And then here in Genesis 2, we're going to see him zero in and zoom in and focus us on just a few things, things that matter, things that inform how we live, the purpose that he has given us. And so today I just want to show you a few things. I want to show you the person that he made, the place that he prepared, and the protection that he gave us. From the very beginning. So today, if you have a, a Bible, turn with me to Genesis chapter 4. Uh, we're going to work through several verses today. We'll read the first four of our time now. This is verse 4. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created, in the day that the Lord God made the, the earth and the heavens. Here's the first thing that we see today, this person that God makes, this person that he has created. I'm sure I've mentioned this before. Uh, I don't know if I've done it in this room. Have I told you guys about my Ikea theory? My Ikea theory is that there are two types of people in the world, Uh, people that, uh, one group of people that when they buy something from Ikea, they carefully follow each instruction as they assemble it, and the other type of person just randomly starts working and figures it out as they go. And because we live in a fallen world, these two people marry each other every time. I've told you that, right? Um, Judy and I, we, we experienced this after we got married. We bought a dresser or something, and, and we went to, to put it together. And by the time I had found the instruction book, she was already like four steps in. And she was mad that I was going so slow, and I was mad that she was being so reckless. <laughs> so now we just buy our furniture pre-made. We don't do the work anymore. But this was the, the idea. This experience was what I thought of when I was reading these words. And, and again, remember the purpose of what we're looking at as God is is zooming in and focusing our attention on this particular part of the creation account. Notice the similarities of what we looked at a few weeks ago. Go ahead and put uh, Genesis 1, verse 26 and 27, and notice the similarities that we see. We see this, that God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness. So he created man in his image. So this, I think, is why we get these two perspectives, because here we see two different aspects of who God is. We see this in Genesis 1, that God is infinitely powerful, that he said, and it happened, that he spoke us, and spoke the world, and spoke everything into existence, that he is above all, and greater than all. And then here we see in chapter 2 that God isn't just powerful, he is personal. That he didn't just speak, he breathed. He breathed life into us, he formed us, he made us with his own hands. God is personal. Look at verse 4, we see that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, that word for Lord being Yahweh, this name that he would reveal for his people to call him. So this is how our our story, the story of humanity, begins, with God forming and God breathing. We are formed, the language there being this idea of a potter molding and forming something out of clay, that we are here in the same way that I tried to put that dresser together, not just randomly assembled, but lovingly and intentionally and carefully put together. We see this idea all throughout scripture, perhaps most famously in Psalm uh, 139 and verse 13. It says that you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. This is something that I think those of us living today can understand better than anybody ever has. This is one of the gifts, I think, of modern science of the things that we've learned about our bodies and how they work and how intricate and specific and complex everything seems to be. There are over two million working parts in one eye. If you stretched out one strand of DNA, it would be six feet long. If you did that with every strand of DNA, it would be 67 billion miles long. That's enough for 150,000 trips to the moon, in case you're wondering. We're known knowing how to breathe, our hearts knowing how to beat, our bodies knowing how to heal. Those who have studied it claim that the the human brain is the most complex thing ever discovered. And this is what scripture has said from the beginning, that we have been carefully and intelligently and intentionally put together. That there is a good design made by a good designer. And this is what I want you to notice today, that the God who thought of all of that, the God who put everything where it is, the God who assembled the entire universe, put every cell together in your body, that God knows you by name. He made you specifically, intentionally, that you were created on purpose and for a purpose. You are not some cosmic accident, not a mistake. You have been molded and shaped and formed by a God who knows you and loves you. This is why Genesis 2 exists. This is why God zooms in and gives us the second perspective of what he did. To remind us that God is not just powerful, he is personal. That you matter to him. God formed us and then look again at verse 7. We're told that he breathed his breath of life into us and it was only then that the man became a living creature. What a strange and and weird and yet beautiful image this is. Some of you know this about me. Uh, I am not a hugger. Uh, We all have our hug lists, right? Like some of you are like, uh, you'll hug anybody. You'll go hug a stranger and that's just your thing. My hug list is my wife and my son and my mom. Like, if I don't see you at Thanksgiving, don't hug me. Let's just stick with a handshake. But my breathe-on list is zero. Like, don't breathe on me. I don't care who you are. Our son, uh, he's teething right now. He's been drooling on me. I don't care for that at all. Like, keep it in your mouth. And so this idea is a little bit strange to me. But what good news this is, What good news it is that we have a God that doesn't just love us from a distance. What good news it is that he is close enough to breathe on, a God that truly knows us. I remember when uh, Luca was born, I remember the first time I was able to hold him, and I was so scared I was going to break him. And and parents, maybe you remember this feeling of, of just wanting to stare at his face, of just wanting to learn every feature, to notice every detail, to know. This person that I helped create. See, this is the picture that we've been given of God here in this Genesis account. That God, in this act of fatherly love, got up close and personal. Imagine Adam waking up for the first time and looking up and this is the first thing he saw. His heavenly father staring at him in love. I think this is why this matters, because this here is a picture of what it looks like to put your faith in Christ. You see this idea all throughout Scripture of the the breath of God, the Spirit of God, coming and bringing light and life into death and darkness. Jesus talks about this uh, many times, but especially in John chapter 3, he says that, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. In other words, what happened to Adam physically is what must happen to you spiritually. It's what Paul teaches in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, that to be in Christ is not just to be a little bit better version of yourself. Not just to be a good person, not just to do good things. To be in Christ, to have faith in him, is to become a new person. To have new life to put your old self and your old ways and your old desires to death and to live in his power. This is what God offers to you and to me today. To breathe. To breathe his spirit. To bring new life in areas where there is only death and darkness. To breathe hope into that relationship that you believe will never be mended. To breathe love to your insecurity, to breathe hope to your belonging, to breathe freedom to the strongholds holding you back. This is what God longs to do. It's what we see in Romans chapter 12 that we would be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And this is my hope for you that this would be our prayer God, renew me, make me a new creation. Bring me life where there is death. Bring me light where there is darkness. Bring hope into every part of who I am. Life comes from the breath of God. This is the person that he made. I want to show you next the place that he prepared for us. The place that he prepared. Um, I remember back when when Judy was uh, pregnant, we moved into our new house right around the same time that she began her nesting phase. Uh, I was not aware that this was a thing. Apparently it is, Uh, where uh, oftentimes expectant mothers will, well, the the switch will go off where they just need to organize and clean everything. And so let me just say that I timed this perfectly. (laughs) There's nothing like having a house full of boxes when your wife just wants to clean everything. But it's this thing that happens as, as, as they want to, uh, something in the brain goes off to just to prepare this place, to offer this safe and perfect home for this child. And so we had so many plans. We were going to do everything. We were going to make it all great. We did so many house projects. The people at Menards like, kind of knew me, which was weird. Um, but then the story ends that her water broke three months early, and none of those projects are finished. So don't come to our house. Nothing is done. That's not the point. But this is what we see God doing here of preparing this place of making everything perfect for his children This is what we're told look with me to genesis chapter 2 in verse uh, 8. It says The lord god planted a garden in eden in the east and there he put the man whom he had formed And out of the ground the lord god made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight And good for food The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river flowed out of Eden to water the garden. There it it divided and became four rivers. The name of the first is the Pishon. It it is the one that flowed around the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold, and the gold of that land is good. Bdellium and onyx stone are there. The name of the second river is the Gihon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Cush. And the name of the third river is the Tigris, which flows east of Assyria. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. Okay, so this is the place that he makes. And I know there was a lot of river talk, but stay with me here. He prepares this place for us. We're told this, that he puts the man in the garden that he has created. That he puts him in this place filled with beauty and with provision, with water and vegetation. That God, in this act of love, gives him everything that he needs in his life. Even the names that were given show us this. Eden, meaning a place of pleasure, paradise. The rivers, Pishon, meaning increase. Gihon, meaning bursting. Tigris, rapidly. And Euphrates, fruitful. Put it all together and you get this image of God giving an overflowing abundance of blessing. That God's love is shown in this. That he has created this place for us. He has prepared it. He has given us everything that we need for for us to, to thrive and to flourish and to belong. This is one of the themes that we see over and over throughout Scripture of God, preparing a place to belong, a place for his people. We see it here in Genesis 2. We see it throughout the Old Testament. We're told that the people of Israel were given this hope of a promised land. This land where their enemies would be defeated, a place of abundance, a place of rest where their needs would be met. We see this in the New Testament as well. We're told in John chapter 1 that the word became flesh and made his dwelling place among us. This is what Jesus preached, that the kingdom of God had arrived, that there is a place for anyone who puts their faith in him. And then right towards the end of his ministry, we're told this in John uh, chapter 14, Jesus telling his disciples and giving them a promise. John 14 says, In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. What a beautiful idea this is. Picture this for a moment. That Jesus, in this moment now, is making everything perfect for you. Jesus is preparing a place for you to belong. Preparing a place that has everything that you need. And this is what we're told, that every place that he has given us, from the garden to the promised land to the world in which we live today, all of it points to this. This desire that we have to belong, this desire that we have to have our needs met to experience beauty, all of it leads us to this place. All of it will be fulfilled by him. We're told about this place in Revelation chapter uh, 22, the very last chapter of scripture. It says that the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life, with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it. And his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. Night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light. And they will reign forever and ever. This is the place that Jesus is getting ready for you. Notice the similarities between this and the garden. Notice the river of life, the tree of life, this personal and close connection that we will have with our heavenly father. And this is the good news, that you do not have to earn your place. You don't have to be good enough. You just have to put your faith in him. God has made a place for you, a place of joy and of light, a place where you belong And this is the God that we have, a God that over and over makes good things for us. God has placed us. And then notice this, look with me to the next verse, verse 15. We're told that God has placed us with a purpose. It says, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. This is our purpose, to work. Work, contrary to what some of us might believe, is not a punishment for sin. Work is not a result of the fall, not something that was meant to be difficult and draining from our lives. Work is an invitation from God to care for the things that he has made. And this is what we're shown here, that from the beginning, work has always been part of God's plan for his people. That he models this in Genesis chapter 1 and then he passed it on to us in Genesis chapter 2. That we have been created to work. Uh, Timothy Keller in talking about work defines it this way. He says that work is rearranging the raw material of God's creation in such a way that it helps the world in general and people in particular thrive and flourish. In other words, work is so much more than what comes to mind for so many of us. It's more than receiving a paycheck, more than climbing the corporate ladder, more than doing things for your own glory. Work is about serving, it's about creating order and beauty. And safety. It's about making the world thrive and flourish. It's about doing what God did and what He said over and over again. It's about making things good. This is what this passage is teaching us that our work is one of the most important ways that we worship God. All work is sacred. Sometimes we get confused about this, and we think that it's only things like preaching or pastoring or being a missionary that matters to God, and that is nowhere found in the Scripture. God didn't make Adam a preacher. Didn't ask him to write a sermon. Didn't even ask him to praise in worship and in a song. He said, go and work. Go and keep. Go and cultivate. Go and build good things in the world that I have made. Work is how we worship. This is the purpose that God has placed us for. This is our calling in whatever we do and whatever work looks like for you, whether you're a student or you're retired or you have a full-time job or you're raising a family, whatever it is, we have been called to look for opportunities to help the world thrive and flourish, to look for opportunities to make good things. We're told this in Colossians chapter 3 that that your work whatever it looks like your work has a purpose that is greater than your own. It says whatever you do work heartily as for the Lord and not for men knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. All work is sacred work. All of us are called. All of us are ministers with a ministry. The work you do, the way in which you do it, is to be an act of worship to your God. When you work hard, when you show integrity, your work becomes worship. When you care about your coworkers and ask how they're doing, your work is worship. When you show love to a classmate, when you make your home a place of love and hospitality, when your neighbors know that they have someone to call on, all of that is work and all of that is worship. This is our calling. This is our purpose. God has placed us where we are for a reason, to worship God in the work that we do. Okay, then here's the last part that I want to show you today, the protection that God gave. Let's read the last couple of verses that we're going to get to today. Verses 16 and 17 says, The Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. Okay, so here's the command. God's first command to his people. He says to Adam that all of this has been created for you. All of this is good for your enjoyment, for your life to be full. But this is the boundary that I am giving you. This is the limit that I am placing on you, that this one tree is off limits. And if you want a full and abundant life, you must not eat of it. And here's the principle that I want to give to you today. That God gives boundaries, limits, and restrictions. Not out of cruelty, but out of care for those that he has made. That because he loves us, and because he cares for us, and because he knows what's best for us, there will be things that God will try to keep you from, and there will be prayers that he will say no to, and there will be doors that he will close. Boundaries are a gift from a God who loves us and knows what's best for us we all understand this at some level don't we I remember uh, when when Lucas started crawling uh, one of the things that we did was we put a gate in front of our stairs and there's nothing that he wants more than to get behind that gate he wants it so badly he will pull up and he'll like bang on the bars it kind of looks like he's in prison like trying to get out it's very funny But we do not let him go where he wants to go. Why? Not because we're cruel. Not because we don't care about him. It's the opposite. It's because we love him. It's because we don't want him to fall. Because we know what's best for him. That we create this boundary. This boundary is a gift from a God who loves him. We're not God. just want to clarify that. This is the picture of God that we see here, though, who imposes limits and boundaries, a God that later would give his people an entire set of laws, a God that calls us to deny our selfish desires and the things that don't line up with the life that he has called us to. He does this because he loves us, because he made us and he knows what's best. This is so crucial that we get this, and this is so hard for so many people. It's so easy to see God as this divine bully, as this mean parent who doesn't want us to have any fun. That to follow Jesus means not getting to experience the things that life can offer. What Scripture teaches is the exact opposite. Jesus says in John chapter 10 that he has come to give life, and life to the full, abundant life. this is what faith declares, that the limits and boundaries of God are for my good and for my flourishing. That contrary to what the world might say, life is not best when I do whatever I want. Not best when I am in control, not best when I follow wherever my heart might lead. Life is best when he is on the throne. Boundaries are a gift from a God who loves us. This is what's going on here, God coming to Adam and saying, I've made all of this for you, I've given you this paradise, I've given you this full life, all of it is yours. But here's the choice that you have to make today. You have to decide if you will trust that the boundary that I have set is not prohibiting you from joy, but protecting you from death. This is the beautiful thing about God. God could have made us that we just mindlessly obey. He could have removed this tree. Have you ever wondered why he put it there in the first place? Why did he do this? He must have known where this was going to go. He did this because this is the nature of love. That we are made in his image, that we have been made to love, and love must always be chosen. It can never be forced. God gives Adam a choice. He gives you a choice. He gives all of us this choice to make. He's not going to force us to follow him. He doesn't want our unwilling obedience. He wants a loving relationship with you. So you get to choose between surrender and control. Humility or pride. Love or rebellion, and this is the question that God brings to us today. Do you trust that I love you, not just when I give you a blessing, but when I give you a boundary? Do you trust that I really care? Do you trust that I am your heavenly Father who gives good things to you? Do you trust that the one who formed you and breathed life into you, that your God knows you best? This is the invitation that he gives to us today, the choice that we must make. Will we trust in ourselves and our own abilities or will we believe that life is best when he is in control? Let us be people who choose life, abundant life, life to the full. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for all the good things that you've given us. We know that you are a God that cares about us more than we can even imagine. We know that you have breathed life into us, that you have formed us. God, help us to remember that. Help us, for those that feel forgotten or alone, to remember that you see them, that they belong to you. Help us that are struggling with boundaries, struggling with knowing whether they can trust you or not. God, remind each of us of the grace that you have given. Remind each of us that your presence is here. Remind us that you are a loving Father who has created good and given us life. We pray this in your name. Amen.